This is class three of round three of Tanya. And of course, the best news this time around is that we're not in any particular rush. We're going to go at our own pace and uh, structure the classes as we choose. Two weeks ago, we learned Tanya the first time. It was primarily a, a history class. We talked about the, the context of the Tanya and the relationship between the Tanya and Hasidus. Yeah. We also touched on the purpose of the Tanya. The purpose of the Tanya was to create a unique form for Hasidus. That although it's consistent with the basic model of Hasidus, which is to serve Hashem from the inside out, from the Neshama, the Chabad model, the Alter Rebbe's design, was to create a Hasidus that changes the relationship between the Rebbe and the Chassid. Where the Rebbe stops to be one who inspires, the Rebbe means the Holy Master, and becomes one who teaches. And as a consequence, the, the role of the Chassid is not simply to travel to the Rebbe and be inspired by the Rebbe's personality and the Rebbe's presence and the Rebbe's service of God, but to be taught how to be self-inspired. This is, in essence, we discussed two weeks ago. And last week, we talked about the Pasuk, the passage in the Chumash on which the Tanya is based. Where Moshe Rabbeinu says, God says that being a Jew is quite easy. And we say to God, uh, doesn't seem that easy to me. It seems quite difficult, in fact. The, the code word is the word Benini. Benini means an intermediate, an average person. And rest assured that there's nothing average about Benini. A Benini is not average at all. A Benini is the most extraordinary person. A Benini does not mean an average person. A Benini means an average person who has fulfilled their full potential. And the full potential of the Benini is when a person becomes a master, when a person gains control completely over themselves. <coughs> Right? The, the cliche goes, the only thing in the universe we can possibly control is ourselves. And we're prepared to control everything else so long as we can avoid having to deal with the need of gaining mastery over the one thing we can in fact control, namely ourselves. So the Pasuk on which the Tanya is based says, in effect, that God is saying, I could have made Judaism far more difficult could have made Judaism a religion that requires us to give him our lives, our souls, our wills, our minds, and our hearts to be in a, in a spiritual state of complete devotion. And God Almighty said, that have defined Judaism by what we do, not by what we think and feel and higher levels of the neshama, but simply on the basis of how we act, what we do, what we say, and what we think. So Moshe Hashem says, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Karif, it's very near. Yiddishkeit is near because the only demand Hashem makes of the average person is to become a master over what they do, say, and think, not over how they feel, not over how they reason, and so forth and so on. And I explained to you last week also, tzaddikim are expected to gain mastery over higher levels of themselves, their conscious selves, and even their subconscious self. And the highest level of tzaddikim have to gain mastery even over what is called the essence of themselves, whatever the word essence means. But the ordinary person, the common person, and we certainly are not extraordinary in this way, is expected by Torah as the highest standard 
to gain a complete mastery over themselves. So what God says is quite easy, we say is quite impossible. And you know what? We're both right. <laughs> Hashem is right because all He's expecting us to do is to control what we do, not how we feel and who we are. And we're right because to gain mastery over ourselves is quite difficult considering the fact that He's blessed us with our constant companion and it's not our laptop, it's the Yetzir Hara. <laughs> He's always following us around. So the Tanya was written by the Alter Rebbe to provide techniques, suggestions, practical suggestions of how to live a life that can make it possible for a person to achieve this, this realistic and yet totally elusive goal. Practical suggestions that teach a person how to achieve this status, this level, this idealized condition called Benini. That's what the Tanya is about. And as I've already explained to you, Rabbi Shnei Zalman, the Alter Rebbe, does not believe in quick fixes. There's no, there's no pills, there's no tricks, there's no chemicals. This is work. Alter Rebbe is not providing a simple solution to this idea of being a Benit, gaining control over oneself. He provides a very involved derech, a very involved technique in achieving this that he himself would call the long-short approach. And of course, the connotation of long and short means it's uh, endeavor, it's a pursuit that requires our whole lives on the one hand, so it's long but it's an endeavor that will affect, that we should truly grow truly become different people on the other, and it is in this vein that it's called short, short means we work hard and we make real gains, real changes, not in the world around ourselves, but real changes within ourselves, and this is essentially the message of the Sefer Tanya Kaddish so this is what we did the last couple of weeks. Now we begin our first lecture on the Tanya Prepper proper. Before I get to this lecture, I just want to say one little point, and that is the Tanya comes along with several haskamas, which means approbations. I don't know what approbations mean, <laughs> so don't worry about it. It means notes of recommendation. It's a good book. It's a, it's a desired read. And also an introduction. I'm not going to do the introduction. I'm not going to do the approbations. Let me just suffice to say that when the Tanya was published, there was a need to guarantee copyright. Because the publishing of the Tanya, when it was printed in 1796-7, involved an enormous investment. Then books were far more expensive than they are today. And there was a lot more that could be lost by people stealing somebody else's work and someone's intellectual property and so forth. So all of the Haskamas, all of those rabbis who wrote their uh, acknowledgments and approvals of the Tanya uh, included in their approbations a uh, copyright statement. In other words, guaranteeing the rights of the, uh, of the investors. The Altarebbe wrote the book, but the investors published the book, and their rights had to be guaranteed. And now we begin the Tanya proper. The Tanya is a book of Hasidus. Which means to say it's a Musar Sefer, it's a book of ethics. Which means to say it's a book that's meant to teach us how to serve Hashem. Or it's meant to teach us how to become more aware of ourselves. Which is of course the very, the most important first step in making changes. People don't change unless they notice. And people don't notice unless they're made aware. And the Tanya certainly helps us become very aware of ourselves, perhaps too much. But it's a Musa Sefer that's predicated on Kabbalistic principles. It's not a Musa Sefer, a book of ethics, based on philosophical 
and uh, human logical systems alone, it's based heavily on Kabbalah. As you'll see tonight, Mitzvah the entire Tanya actually revolves around a short little statement in the Zohar, which becomes the underpinning, it becomes the foundation of the entire book. So the Tanya is a Kabbalistic work. Still, in spite of that, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman, does something which is quite typical of him. And it's a tradition which has been continued in the Chabad movement. All of our Rabbeim had this attitude and had this philosophy. And that is, that when you explain an idea, when you introduce a thought that is based on Kabbalah, it is most appropriate to begin with the Gemara, to begin with the Talmud. And to work your way from one level of Torah to another level of Torah. To begin with the basic level and then work from the basic level to a deeper level. It's even better, it's most ideal, where not only do you begin with Gemara, with Talmud, and then work your way towards Kabbalah, but actually to corroborate, to show that an idea which is found in Kabbalah, an idea found in Zayar, can have at least some basis in the Talmud, some basis in the Gemara. And that's exactly how uh, the Tanya begins. The Tanya begins with the Talmud, with the Gemara, which not only leads us into the mystical explanation, but the Altareb is actually going to propose, Altareb is going to argue that there is a source for the Tanya idea in the Shas. There is actually a basis for the Kabbalistic postulation on which the Tanya is based in one Gemara or several Gemaras in in, in, in the Shas. In other words, there is a source, a nigla for this Kabbalistic idea. Nigla would mean the revealed part of the Torah, the Talmud, versus Nista, the secret part of the Torah, which is Kabbalah and Now, I want to begin with a story. A story which I love. Nun Gimel Lamed Hey. And Nista is Nun Samach Tofresh. I guess you're writing them in English. Revealed versus hidden. I want to begin with a story. The Helika Baal Shemtiv, the Holy Baal Shemtiv traveled once to a place and he came across a, a great scholar. And um, the Baal Shemtiv had this unusual ability to relate to each person on their own level. He didn't have one level of relationship. He had many levels. He related to a person based on the level of this person. When the Baal Shemtiv met this Talmud Chacham, it became quite apparent that this is actually a scholar, it's a rabbi. And the Baal Shemtiv wanted to reach him. Hunter wanted to touch this person, to so to speak, get that person to open up. So he engaged in conversation. He started talking to him and learning. And this rabbi uh, was a Talmud Chacham, he was a great scholar, so he was able to engage the Baal Shem Tev conversation. And they talked. And at a certain point, the Baal Shem Tev asked this rabbi a question which he was not able to answer. So they discussed it. And this rabbi tried very, very hard to answer the question, and there was no five dollars. There was no such trick. He had to answer the question, and he, he attempted to answer the question, and the Baal Shem Tev demonstrated to him that this question is insoluble. There's no answer. And they argued for a period of time until this rabbi says, I suppose this question can't be answered. And as soon as it was agreed that this question has no answer, the Baal Shem Tev then proceeded to answer the question himself. And uh, he answers the question. And now this rabbi finds himself in a funny position. Because he found himself arguing against the Baal Shem Tev's answer. Because it had been agreed that this question is insoluble, it cannot be answered. So they argued some more. Until this rabbi says, yes, I suppose this question, after all, 
does have an answer, and the answer to it is the one you gave. And as soon as this rabbi was convinced that the answer, the question has been answered correctly, the Balshamtiv proceeded to demonstrate its fallacy and refuted it. And he played his game with this person again and again and again. He answered the question, and they agreed that it was a good answer, then he refuted it, and he agreed that it was a good refutation, then he answered it again and so forth. And he, uh, I suppose he demonstrated to this person what it means learning Torah on a deeper level and then on a deeper level still. The Vashemtev would later explain, and there's actually an essay from the Alter Rebbe that, that revolves around this story. The Vashemtev would later explain that there's no such thing as a question in Torah that doesn't have an answer. And there's no such thing as an answer in Torah which cannot be refuted again. Because Torah is infinite. It's the infinite wisdom of God. And part of the infinity of the Torah is the Torah is layered. has lower levels and higher levels. Like everybody knows, there's Pshat, Remez, Drush, Soy. There's a very basic level of interpretation, a more involved level of interpretation, an indirect level of interpretation, and there's a mystical level of interpretation. These levels are not just different because they talk about different issues. These levels are different because they talk about different questions. The key to learning anything is asking questions. Questions are the, are the keys to the doors that open up worlds, right? When you study Torah, you're asking questions on an existing text. When a person is analyzing the physical world, they're asking questions based on the premise that there's a reality, there's a world, there's things, things they don't understand that they cannot explain. And the people who don't ask questions will never come up with any answers. But questions are the key to learning. Questions are the key to knowledge. In Torah... There's never an end to questions. Because the wisdom of the Torah is so deep, you can always challenge what's already been established and not end up stuck, not feel trapped in a space where I've got a question which I have no answer. But go deeper into the Torah and find a more profound answer, which can then be questioned again, and it never finishes. It goes on and on and on. And part of this truth is the fact that Torah exists on various levels, on a simple level, on a deeper level, and on a deeper level still, and so forth and so on. And you have to understand that when you study, so because there are different layers in Torah, the difference between one level in Torah and another level in Torah is not so much the answer, but what is considered a question. In a certain level of learning, you'll ask a question to tell you you're being tedious, you're being petty, you're being childish, you're being a pain in the neck. On a deeper level of Torah, that question is legitimate. And the deeper and the deeper you go with the Torah, the more fine, the more precise the questions are and the more true the insights are. And it never finishes. And on this basis, I want to tell you a second story. And it is this story that I wanted to share with you. Um, in the early 1950s, when the Rebbe first became Rebbe, he was probably 51 or 52 years old, and he looked about 25. The Rebbe became Rebbe, he looked very, very, very young. He aged very fast. I guess the position aged him. And I suppose we could all figure out why. But when the Rebbe became a Rebbe, he didn't have a white hair in his beard. Literally. The Rebbe was 48 years old, didn't have a white hair in his beard. But the Rebbe was the Rebbe. You don't get old to become a rabbi. You can be young and be a rabbi too. And he was visited by Rabbi Yochan and Rechem Strifke. Rabbi Yochan and Rechem Strifke was a very, very special Jew. He was a Chsidish Rebbe. He lived in Jerusalem. He passed away in 1978. And he had a son who was getting married at that time, Rabbi Itzikal, who lives in Borough Park. 
and they came in for the wedding. He married an American girl. I'm sure he married a girl from a very Choshev, a Hasidish family, but here in the United States, and they visited America. So of course, they were here, they went in to see the Rebbe. They were related. There was a very deep relationship between the Racham Stifke Rebbe and the Lubavitch Rebbe. When the previous Rebbe was in Israel, 1929, he met, he met Rebbe Nachem Nochem Tversky. He was a very, very, very old man. He was over 100, I think. And a very, very warm relationship developed between these two families. Poshet, they were related. They were Mitle Rebbe's Einikach. They were cousins. And there was always a very, very warm relationship. And uh, so the Biyachan and Racham Stifke brought his son to see the Rebbe before his wedding. Of a Gronish, as the Gazunzain says it, there's a tradition by great by Gedolim, that when a rabbi visit, comes to town, he goes to visit the local godel, the rabbis, and then they come to visit him in his uh, where he's play, where he's staying. The rabbi did this exactly one time in all the years of his nesias, that actually returned the visit. Someone came to see him, and they went to see him, and there was this case. The rabbi went to Bar Park to meet the Yochanan and Racham where he was staying. And he brought his young son in that culture. They probably got married at 16 or 17, very, very young. And he brought him to the Rebbe to meet the Rebbe to get a bracha in, in anticipation for his wedding. So he comes into the Rebbe. This is 1953. And the, the, the Rebbe himself tells the story. I heard the story from his grandson, Rav Nachman Tversky, lives in Crown Heights. They come into the Rebbe, and the Rebbe asks the young chassan what he's learning. So he tells the Rebbe he has two sedarim, it's two different parts of the day. He's learning one mesichte with one chavrosa, different mesichte with different chavrosa. So the Rebbe asks him which topic, which uh, subject are you more comfortable with? Would you like to discuss learning? So he tells the Rebbe what he prefers, and the Rebbe starts talking to him. Of course, the Rebbe didn't have time to prepare himself, it was all ad hoc, impromptu. And the Rebbe asks him a question on whatever it was that he was learning, and it was a familiar question, and um, he knew the answer. <laughs> it was a question that all Mepharshim asked, all the commentators asked, and he told the Rebbe the answer. And then the Rebbe asked him a second question. And the second question he could not answer. So he, uh, he felt stupid. <laughs> what can I tell you? So the Rebbe says to him, this question cannot be answered You can't explain this question on a Talmudic level. It can only be explained on a Kabbalistic level. And he said to him, and these kinds of questions that show, so to speak, the end of one level of Torah, the Talmudic level of Torah, and can only be resolved on a deeper level of Torah, on a mystical level of Torah, demonstrate the unity within Torah. That although uh, there's different levels, all the levels are linked. A lower level and a higher level are connected because they complement one another. The lower levels of Torah are more basic, and the deeper levels of Torah make it more whole. And the Rebbe gave him an answer, Pikabola, on a mystical level, answering his question. And this young man was very, very impressed with the Rebbe's whole approach. And when he walked out of the Rebbe, he said, I felt at that moment that the Rebbe could take any point in the Hoshas, ask a question, and demonstrate the limitations of Nigla, the limitations of learning Torah on Talmudic level, and how it's complemented, how it's made whole with the mystical level, with the Kabbalistic level. And if you ever studied the Rebbe Sichas, he does this on a regular basis. <coughs> Raises a question, explains it on a Talmudic level, and then shows how it's never perfect until you go up to a deeper and a higher level. It's, it's the Rebbe's MO. To, to ask a question and give a variety of different answers, sort of filling in different casts, filling in different energy levels, so to speak, within the world of, uh, of studying Torah. I bring this up as the background to tonight's discussion. Tonight's discussion revolves around a number of terms. 
these terms are most important because they are the foundation of the whole book of Tanya. We're going to be coming across these terms over and over again. Every week for the next several months at least, we're going to be addressing these terms. And if I can bother you to turn to page 2 of the piece of paper that I handed you, I've underlined the terms. Okay, it's the Tanya page, right? It's the page that looks like this. It's, pardon, there's no Nukudot, I apologize for that too. It's, what would I say? It's eight lines from the top of the page. The terms are Tzadik v'toiv loy, Tzadik v'ra loy, Rasha v'toiv loy, Rasha v'ra loy, and Benini. Five terms. Tzadik, which is translated as righteous, V'toiv loy to whom it is good, Tzadik, a righteous person, V'ra loy to whom it is evil, Rasha, a bad person, evil person, V'toiv loy to whom it is good, Rasha v'ra'alai, an evil person to whom it is bad. Ubeinyani, an average person. These terms. Tzaddik, Rasha, and Benyani. Righteous, evil, and average. Are the personalities, are the categories of human beings regarding which, uh, uh, around whom the Tanya will revolve. But when the Alter Rebbe begins the Tanya, he doesn't just bring these terms and give you his definitions. He begins the Tanya by bringing you these terms and suggesting to you the classic definitions, the Talmudic definitions. In other words, he starts off with the simple translations of the term Tzaddik, the simple translation of the word Rasha, and the simple translation of the word Benini, the simple translation of the word Righteous, the simple translation of the word Evil, and the simple translation of the word Average. And he works from the basic to the to the sublime, to the deeper level, to the Tanya level, to the mystical level. After this week, after tonight's class, we're going to stop this duality. The rest of the book of Tanya is going to assume the higher definition of these terms, Tzaddik, Benini, and Rasha. But this week, as we begin the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe insists on starting with the Talmud, starting with the Gemara, starting with the Nigla, telling us these definitions as they are defined in Talmud, in classic terms. Okay? Now, Pardon? What's the definition of the Tavlo Well, a. You got two choices. Right. You can ask your question, or you can wait. We'll get to it. We'll <laughs> <laughs> get back to it. We'll get back to it. Turn to page one. And we are now reading a shtikel at Rambam, a piece of Rambam, of Maimonides. Now, I want to tell you something. No. On Gemara. I have. Chosen the Rambam, I could have picked one of a dozen Gemaras all over the Shas. Any person who studied Talmud knows that the term Tzadik Ben Yerusha come up a lot, especially in the laws of Yom Kippur, right? Because Yom Kippur you talk about Tshuva, so Mesechte Yuma, the tractate Yom which deals with Yom Kippur, has pages of discussion about Tzadik and about Ben and about the Russia. I chose to bring you the Rambam because the Rambam is a halachic book. So he consolidates things. He doesn't just have a piece here and a piece there. He brings it all together. And I want to just read a couple of lines. Okay? Every single human being, has both merits and sins. Now, it's stated as a statement of fact. Everybody has merits and sins. Of course, if you were a great rabbi with a very sharpened thumb, you would say, everybody has sins. There's no person who has only merits. The Gemara says that there are a number of people who only died because of the original sin, Dalad um, 
Could there be people who are all evil, have no merits? The Ramam states, as a matter of fact, every human being has both good and bad. De- deal with it as you wish, because we're not addressing this point. Let's continue now. One whose merits are more than their sins is called tzaddik. What makes you righteous? If you do more good than bad. One whose evil, whose sins are more than his merits is Russia. 50-50 Benini is average. Very simple, very straightforward and not very uncomfortable. <laughs> I can live with... I'm a tzaddik if 51% of what I do is good. I'll take that definition. I may have to work on it, but 51% is manageable. This definition of tzaddik, which means righteous, rasha, which means evil, and bayni, which means average, is standard to halachic, standard talmud. What's the definition of, of Ramam's definition of bayni? 50-50. 50% good and 50% evil. These are the standard definitions. This is classic. This is how the Gemara operates. How many times in the Talmud are the words Tzaddik, Beni, Rasha written? Probably hundreds of times. Certainly many score, many times 20. Okay? And as a rule, the Talmud adopts these definitions, Tzaddik, Beni, and Rasha. Tzaddik means a person who is more than 50% good, a Rasha means more than a person more than 50% evil, and a Beni is 50-50. Now, if you think about it, Beninim are the most, are probably the rarest group. To be 50-50 is kind of odd. To be exactly on the fence. Beninim means average. <laughs> average means 50% good, 50% evil. But the likelihood of the, the median of the population being 50-50 is quite small. Now, if you'll study on in Rambam, there's more to the Rambam than we're actually going to read. Rambam writes, if you look at the beginning of Halacha Hey, the bottom of the page, when they weigh the merits of a person against his sins. The first sin doesn't count. Not the second sin. It begins, they count from the third sin, which means to say, if you have two less merits than sins, you're 50-50. You're average. Because they don't give you, it doesn't have to be exactly 50-50, it has to be sort of 50-50. Approximately 50-50 becomes a binyan. This, this is halacha. This is nigla. These are the rules. And of course, the relevance of this is when it comes to Yom Kippur, if you're a tzaddik, you have a good year. If you have a Russia, you got a problem. If you're a benyani, you have from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to tip the scale in your favor. This is the basic reason why these halachas are brought. Why would a person who has 49% sins be called righteous? Why would a person who has 48% merits be called evil? 48% good deeds is pretty good. And of course the answer is that the Gemara, the Talmud, and therefore Rambam, therefore Halacha, uses the terms Tzadik, Benini, Rasha in a very practical way. It's not complicated. And the practical <coughs> method that has to do with the definitions of righteous, evil, and averages, how a person is judged. When you have to judge a person, now you understand that in a court of law they don't judge people. Are you familiar with this? In courts of law, they don't judge people. They judge actions. <coughs> Agreed? Right? They don't judge a person. They judge a particular behavior. And they judge a particular behavior based on the evidence presented. But in a court of law, you can't judge people because a human being is in no position to judge any human being except himself. Except for the fact that he would be mightily dishonest. 
Agreed. But God can. God can judge people. And He does. Because He's got it figured out. When the Nebuchadnezzar is the Nebuchadnezzar, right? There's an eye that sees and an ear that hears. And everything you do is recorded in the book. Hashem is able to judge. And He judges a person. He assesses a human being. He comes up with a definition of the whole person. Not of a particular action, not of a particular group of actions, but the entirety of the person. So Talmud says that when Hashem, when God judges a person, He's able to assess the wholeness of the person. He's able to judge what the human being is. But that judgment is defined by the person's actions. What the person did and didn't do. Not what the person felt and didn't feel, but what the person did and didn't do. And the judgment follows a very basic criterion. Majority. If most of what you did is good, you're a good person. If most of what you did is not good, you're an evil person. And if you're sort of confused and you're stuck in the middle, then you're considered a benini, an average person. Okay, these are, this is standard Gemara. This is Allah and Rambam. The Rambam makes it very clear that a, uh, a tzaddik means not that you're a righteous man or a righteous woman, but that you're defined as righteous because of most of what you do is good. A person who's got more than 50% evil is called an evil person. They're not evil, they're not bad, but since the majority of what they do is wrong, they're defined as evil in as much as judgment is concerned. This is, the, this is, the, this is standard definitions of Tzadik Ben Yerosh. Does anybody have any difficulties with this? I hope it's not making you uncomfortable. I'm going to make you uncomfortable soon. Yeah. But in the meantime, everything's fine. Okay. And by the way, I'm not making anybody uncomfortable. I didn't write the book. I'm teaching you the time. Now, on this basis, turn over to page two, and let's do an analysis. Right? We want to answer Rabbi Benamir's question because it's very, very important that Rabbi should not be without an answer. Look at the words I underlined twice. Look at the words I underlined twice. Tzadik v'toivloi v'tzadik v'raloi. Tzadik means a righteous person for whom it is good. Tzadik v'raloi means a righteous person for whom it is bad. Now, accepting the Talmudic definitions, which is what we're doing in the meantime, that tzadik means 51% good or more, so what does it mean tzadik to whom it is good and tzadik to whom it is evil? Very, very simple. Sometimes you have righteous people, you have good people, and they have wonderful lives materially. They have health, they have parnas, they have children, they have nachas. Sometimes you have righteous people who have a very difficult life. They don't have enough to eat. They're cold, they're hungry, they're ill, they suffer from their children. They don't have children, God forbid. And as everybody in this room knows by now, it's pretty hard to figure out the ways of God. Might as well give up trying. Talking about the Eivishter, we can't understand the ways of God. So tzaddik v'tayv, they mean simply a righteous person who has a good life. Tzadik v'rali means a righteous person who doesn't have a good life. Now, assuming that Hashayfet Chalaharat Yasa Mishpat, that since God is in charge of this world and He's a reasonable judge, so there has to be reason, logic to how Hashem judges, you can ask the question, why does one righteous person have it good materially and another righteous person have it not so good materially? And the answer is going to be very simple. If a person does only good, person has 100% good deeds. They've never done anything wrong. There's absolutely no reason in the world for them to suffer. Because they have no, nothing needs to be cleansed. Nothing needs to be corrected. 
So not only are they going to get Ganeidin, not only are they going to get the other world, might as well enjoy this world too. So a tzaddik, the Gemara says, a tzaddik gomer, a perfect tzaddik, has a good material. Tzaddik, tzaddik gomer. If you are a person who never sins, in other words, your righteousness affects or translates into 100% of your behavior, then you might as well be blessed materially, because why not? On the other hand, if a person is somewhere between 99 and 51% good deeds, they're called tzaddik, they're called righteous, but there are things in their lives which are not perfect. And God has a technique and a philosophy that says, I'd rather get the secondary stuff out of the way in this life, so when you go to the other world, which is the world of truth, things will be in order. So if a tzaddik has some iniquity, some uh, iniquity, some flaws, some imperfections, some sins, Hashem will give them tests and challenges, which is His way of cleansing them from these so-called minor, secondary aspects of their life. So when the person passes away, they're clean. So a tzaddik, is a tzaddik when a person is righteous, but not 100% righteous, anywhere between 99 and 51% righteous, which is a tzaddik that's imperfect. He's a tzaddik because he's more than 50% good, but he's vera loy. He's ene goma. There's things about his life which are not the way they're supposed to be. So God Almighty gives them some challenges. So when they get to the other world, it's been cleaned up. This is the simple pshat. Now, if you've got case histories where you think in your assessment that God didn't judge them correctly, you'll take it up with God. Now continue now. Rasha v'tayv loy, rasha to whom it is good, rasha v'ra loy, rasha to whom it is evil. It's the same issue again. How do you translate rasha v'tayv loy? A person who's who's he's a sinner, he's a bad guy, has a good life. Versus a rasha v'ra loy, a person who's a sinner, who's got a bad li- who's a bad guy, and he's got a rotten life. And here the issue is exactly the same, but it's inverse. It's backwards. If a person only has sins, never done a merit in his life. So what, why should God give him any reason, any good? He's only evil. If, however, a person has some good, and I suppose we can all contend that it's kind of hard to find a person who's 100% rotten. You have to work really, really hard to be that rotten. But if a person is, in fact, a sinner that has zero merits, then Rosh Hashanah, he suffers in this life. But if he has some good, and most people have some good, Hashem rewards him. But in this physical world, they reward it. Why? Because since a person is judged by the majority of their actions. So when they're going to come to the other side, and the majority of the actions are not so good, so they're going to go to the place where it's always warm. So in this life, Hashem gives them reward for the minor, for the secondary good that they have in their life. These definitions are very, very simple. They're very logical. A tzaddik means a person who's got most of his life is good, and therefore, if there's something which has to be cleaned, Hashem will give them tests in this life. If he's perfect, he has life good here as well. And the opposite is true of Rasha. If Rasha has some merits, Hashem gives him blessing in this world. And if he has no merits at all, he suffers in this life as well. These are standard definitions. And the Bainini is in the middle. What does that mean in the middle? 50-50. So his material life reflects the same. He's not very high. He's not very low. He's not very wealthy. He's not very poor. He's not very blessed. He's not very the opposite of blessing because his life is average, so his material condition is average as well. This is a very simple way of uh, translating these terms. Okay? This is the end of the Talmud. Ad kan nigu. This is the Rambam, which is based on the Gemara. We're done. You want them to say something? Uh, no question. 
when you're saying the tzaddik who suffers, who, who doesn't have everything perfect? According to who? Him or everybody else around him? According to God. That's a problem, right? So, because we're all God when it comes to everybody else. The question is, the tzaddik doesn't necessarily have to suffer if he is hungry and cold. That's what I'm asking. But for instance, Rav Lusim is a good example. Does he suffer or not? When you beat a Zusha, you'll come back. You'll ask the question, and I'll give you the answer. <laughs> That's a philosophical question, and I don't answer such questions. I mean, let's deal with ourselves. <laughs> when we deal with ourselves, it gets very uncomfortable, but let's leave the tzaddikim alone. Let it be. The Ebishter has his business with tzaddikim. There's a fellow that I know who always tells me, thank God I'm not a tzaddik. God picks on the tzaddiks. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> a person is supposed to aspire to be a tzaddik, but there's some truth to what he's saying. Well, let me ask you, did God pick on the Rebbe? Okay, <clears throat> asking a personal question now. Um, I don't answer personal questions. No, but how is that personal? No, the Rebbe. I, I heard what you said. I, I'm not answering the question. I'm sorry? He didn't have his own personal children. The only person who picked on the Rebbe was us. We could have been better Hasidim. We could still be better Hasidim. But okay, let's get back to philosophy. It's safer and more interesting. Uh, And less uh, emotional. Now, so all should end right here. There is, however, a big problem. There's a big problem with these definitions. And the big problem with the definitions is a tiny little phrase in the Zoyer. That if it were not for the Alter Rebbe, no one would even know that that Zayin exists. But this little phrase in the Zayin brings this entire definition into question. There's a Zayin, it's a piece of Zayin. Don't worry about it. You're probably not going to go home and look for it. And if you will, you'll be able to find it. Where the Zayin makes the following statement. Tzadik v'raloi. You want to show you the Zayin inside, yes? Um... Uberaya, I didn't underline the words. Uberaya is the last word on the line. If you can count from the top, I reckon it's ten lines from the top of the page. Uberaya mehemne pashas mishpatim pirush. You see the words? And the section is there called Raya mehemne. For those who do not know, the Zayah has multiple sections. One of the sections there is called Raya mehemne, this trusted shepherd. And the Messiah is, the tradition is that it was Moshe Rabbeinu's contribution. Moshe Rabbeinu also joined the yeshiva at Ashbi. And the ideas that Moshe Rabbeinu taught are in this section called Rai Mehemne. Now, obviously, Moshe Rabbeinu was not alive in the time of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi. He had lived over a thousand years before. He would visit Rashbi's yeshiva. I mean, the controversy in Zoyer is not so much that Moshe Rabbeinu visited. The controversy in Zoyer is that a rabbi named Abchia visited, and Abchia didn't live till later. Now, that if someone who lived before showed up in Rashbi's yeshiva is an issue enough. But Abchia lived after Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi. Okay, listen, you got an open mind, but some people would say that's kind of problematic. But in any case, Moshe Rabbeinu has a section of Zayir all his own called Raim Mehemna. For the most part, the Raim Mehemna is actually the Zayir Sefer HaMitzvah. Raim Mehemna is Moses. The Raim Mehemna, for the most part, is, is an enumeration of mitzvahs according to the Zayir, which is quite interesting. But in this particular case, Moshe Rabbeinu gets philosophical. And he makes the following statement. Tzadik v'ra'aloi, the Pirish Tzadik v'ra'aloi, translates the word Tzadik v'ra'aloi, quote, Shahara the evil in him, 
Kafaf Latay Vachulu is leaning towards good, etc. Stop. A simple statement in the Zayar. The Zayar says, Moshe Rabbeinu says, that a Tzadik Vera'aloi, now we know what a Tzadik Vera'aloi is. A Tzadik Vera'aloi, according to the classic definition, is a Jew who's somewhere between 51 and 99% righteous, righteous, virtuous. He's a Tzadik. He suffers a little because he's not 100% perfect. But the Zayar says something which opens up an enormous Pandora's box. The Zayar says, a, a Tzadik Vera'aloi, a Tzadik to whom it is evil, means somebody who has evil, and his evil is leaning towards good. What do those words mean? It's that his evil is leaning towards good. Now, in my way of thinking, if I have 55% good and 45% evil, the 45% evil is not leaning towards good. It's 45% evil. If out of every hour, 35 minutes I do mitzvahs, and 25 minutes I do the opposite of mitzvahs, during those 25 mitzvahs, Evil is not leaning towards anything. I'm being evil. How can you explain leaning towards good? It's either good or it's evil. In other words, if we're defining tzaddik and Russia simply on a behavioral plane, that to be a tzaddik means to do more good than evil, and to be a Russia means to do more evil than good, emphasis on the word do, then how could evil be leaning towards good? If a person has some good, and some evil, the good's good and evil is evil. What does the Zayar mean when it says that a tzaddik vera loy, a tzaddik who has evil, means that his evil is leading towards God? Pardon? Intentions. Attitudes. Well, intentions don't matter. Actions matter, according to the standard definition, according to the Nigla, according to the Talmudic and the Maimandian definition. Well, this Zayar is the key or the lock that brings us from the lower plane the higher plane. Obviously, the simple fact that we are defining a person that has good and evil and saying that his evil is leaning towards good indicates one thing for certain. This evil can't be behavioral, can't be an action. Because if a person has good actions and bad actions, every action stands on its own. The evil action is not leaning towards good, they're evil. (laughs) The good actions aren't leading towards evil in a tzaddik v'raloi. They're good. So this, this five words of Azoyar becomes the window into the, into the Tanya's definition of these terms. By the fact that the Zoyar says that a person could have evil leaning towards good, evidently, evil can be measured by a different criterion other than behavioral. It's not just who I do, what I do, pardon me. It's who I am. And this is the new world. In the Tanya, Tzadik, and Benini, and Russia, not about what you do. Tzadik, Benini, and Russia are who you are. A Tzadik, Allah is a, is a righteous person. And he has evil. But the evil is subservient to the good. The evil is leaning towards the good. This doesn't mean he has some good and bad action. It means he has some good and some bad tendency, disposition, inclination, leaning. And the idea, to be very, very basic about it, is that when a person does something wrong, it's because inside themselves there was a predisposition towards sin. People do things wrong because they're tempted, because they have anger, because they have laziness, because they have apathy, because they have cynicism, right? The actions that we do reflect the, the ethos and the attitudes that we are. 
When people do good, there's a motivation. And the, the, the deed is a fact, is a behavior. The motivation, the inspiration for my good is who I am. So in the world of the Zohar, which will now become the world of the Tanya, this small little phrase, opens us up to a brand new set of terms. The definition of a tzaddik doesn't only mean one who does good, but someone who's disposed towards goodness, whose inclination is to do good. The meaning of a rasha doesn't necessarily mean or only mean somebody who does wrong, but somebody who's disposed towards evil. And a bainani means somebody who's disposed towards both. Okay? In other words, we're no longer defining tzaddik bainani rasha by what you do, we're defining tzaddik bainani rasha by who you are. Now, you'll see next week, if you'll return and I'll return with the help of God Almighty, that most people have both tendencies. Most people have good in them and bad in them. And I don't mean good actions and bad actions. I mean good inclinations, good tendencies, and bad inclinations, bad tendencies. We call them in the standard form, Yetzirah and Yetzirah. An inclination towards doing good, an inclination towards doing evil. In the Tanya, we don't use the word Yetzir, which would connote the emotional dimensions of Tevana. We use the word Nefesh. Rather than use the word Yetzir, which is the Shayrish, that word is the word Tzura, the form, we use the word Nefesh. And the root of the word Nefesh means a life force. There's a Nefesh Alaki, there's a godly life force. And there's Nefesh Bahami, there's an animal life force. Now, I don't want to give away next week's class. But now we can understand a whole new definition of tzaddik, rasha, and benyani. A tzaddik means somebody who is governed by the yetzatev, or somebody who is governed by the nefesh alaki, the godly life force. A rasha is somebody who is governed by his yetzatev, by his evil inclination, or by his nefesh abahamis, his animal life force. And a benyani is somebody who is governed by both. And therefore, when a person is a tzaddik, that means to say, they have only one inner voice. They have only one inclination. They have only one life force. It desires, it lusts for godliness. It's a tzaddik, a righteous person. Righteous is not just defined by what you do. It's defined by a disposition, by a condition. By a state of existence. A righteous person is not just righteous because he does good things. A righteous person is because his whole soul is, con- is, is, is interested in and disposed towards and motivated by goodness and by godliness. A rasha is a person who only has an evil inclination. He only has an animal predisposition. His interests are selfish and material and immediate and short-sighted, and self-serving, an animal inclination. And a Benini has both. You see, but the plot thickens. I'll get to you in a moment. Not necessarily is every tzaddik perfect. And not necessarily is every rasha perfect. A person can be righteous, and according to the Zoharic definition, to the deeper definition, tzaddik doesn't mean I do good. Tzaddik means I am good. But there are some people who are righteous. In other words, their desire, their interest, their passion is in goodness. But hidden someplace inside themselves is a little bit of evil. That's called tzaddik. They're a righteous person. 
And again, we're not just defining righteous by actions. We're defining righteous by the mahus, the, the essence. The human being is defined by goodness. They're in, they love Yiddishkeit. Everything else is boring to them. It just has no meaning. But it's conceivable that a person should be righteous and have a little bit of evil inside of himself in his subconscious. And that's the translation of the Zaharic statement. Tzadik v'ra'aloi. What does it mean a person who's righteous and has some evil? Doesn't mean you have less than 50% sin. It means you have animal tendencies. But they're kafuf l'toyv. They're overwhelmed by the righteousness of the person. A tzaddik is a person who's inspired by goodness. It's conceivable for a person to be inspired by goodness, have a little bit of evil inside of himself that never manifests. It doesn't come out. Because it's secondary. And the same is true of Rasha. Rasha means a person who has an evil inclination, an animal instinct. His, his, the, the, the basis for the motivation and the inspiration in his life comes from his selfish animal self. But not every person who's selfish and animalistic is all evil. There can be a lot of good in a person, a lot of godliness in a person, a lot of altruism in a person. But in a Rasha, the good within him is kafuflara. It is overwhelmed by the emotional condition of being selfish and animally, animalistic. Animalistic doesn't mean cruel. Animalistic simply means selfish and materially um, centric. And the Bainini is in the middle. Bainini literally hears both voices. In other words, he feels both tendencies. His heart is torn. There's a part of him that desires good, and there's a part of him that desires animalism. So we've now redefined, we'll get to your question in one minute, we've redefined Sadiq Baini Rosha. We're no longer defining a person based on their actions alone. We are defining a person based on who they are in their essence. A tzaddik is a person who's motivated by goodness. And if there's a little evil in that person, in that righteous man, that, right, that evil is overwhelmed by that person's tendency towards goodness. A rasha is a person who's motivated by selfishness, by, by material gratification, animal priorities. And if there's some goodness in that person, it's overwhelmed by that animal tendency. And a benini is torn. A benini is torn. Now go ahead, make your comment. And my question was about the tzaddik and the rasha, that by the tzaddik the bad is overwhelmed, and by the rasha the good is overwhelmed. So it's never coming out in action, the part that is overwhelmed? So it would seem. You'll see soon that that's not entirely true, but so it would seem. Okay? So on this basis, we redefine the term tzaddik benin rasha. A whole new set of definitions. Tzaddik does not mean... 51% 51% good or higher. Rosh does not mean 51% evil or higher. Bain does not mean 50-50. Because we're not talking about what you do, we're talking about who you are. Okay? So listen to these definitions, okay? And don't get nervous. <laughs> They're going to make you nervous, but try not to get too nervous, okay? A tzaddik doesn't mean a person who doesn't sin. A tzaddik means a person who has no desire to sin. Because his Yetzirah is dead. His evil inclination has been killed. Either 100%, or even if it's not 100% dead, but it's sufficiently dead not to have a real voice. The animal, the base person, is overwhelmed by goodness to the degree that the only passion that this human being has is for goodness. I suppose we would all agree that we don't know too many tzaddiks, right? 
But, <laughs> a tzaddik, again, is not only a person who doesn't do anything wrong. A tzaddik is a person who has no desire for wrong. He has no emotional tendency towards it. A tzaddik v'ra'loi has animal tendencies within himself, but they never get to fully manifest. They don't come out. Now, Bainini is the interesting one. And Bainini is not only the interesting one, Bainini is the relevant one, because this is called the book of Bainini. It's not a book of Tzadikim. The Bainini is a person who desires animal things, who would like, there's, there's a part of his tendency, there's part of his predisposition, that would like things that are animal uh, gratifying, but he never acts on them. A Bainini has a good inclination and an evil inclination, He's drawn towards good. He's drawn towards evil. And he wins his battles 100% of the time. Now why is that average? <laughs> why is winning your battles 100% of the time average? It's average because the person is being split in half. The inner person and the outer person. On the outside, on the behavioral level, the baby is perfect. On the inside, on the emotional level, on the spiritual level, on the human level, the baby struggles. So he's in the middle in the middle means relative to himself. The behavioral dimension of the Benyani is in full control. The spiritual, emotional dimension of the Benyani, he's not in full control. And the Rasha, now this is the part that nobody likes. <laughs> the Rasha is a person who has as few as one sin. When a person sins, even if it's once in their lifetime, at that moment, they're evil because they're doing an evil act. Arash doesn't mean I've sinned a lot. Arash means I've given in. I've been weak. Now, I would agree that these definitions, you know, I teach Tanya to teenagers. Now, teenagers don't have as much patience as you. Before, I would have finished or said, are you saying we're all a bunch of Rashas? Yes. And I would say, well, <laughs> we don't like the word Russia. It makes us all feel uncomfortable. We like the word Balchur. But like Balchur about six times a day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Don't be so honest. Okay. But yes. The definition of Rosh is not a bad person. The definition of Rosh is simply a person who's weak, who's given in. You'll see later on in the time you have a very profound definition of Rosh. And it's actually a Talmudic definition. The, Rosh says, the Talmud says, the Gemara says, how do you define a Rosh? A person who's constantly in a state of regret. I feel bad, I feel bad, I feel bad. Why do you feel bad? Because there's something wrong. But I have a conscience. I have a conscience. I don't want to do things that are wrong. I'm usually a pretty good guy, but I feel bad. That's a rasha. A rasha means I've been weak. I've given in, even if it's very infrequently. So let's all agree that the Tanya definitions are radically different and at a much higher plane than the classic definitions and the Maimonidean and Talmudic definitions, Right? We started out with Tzaddik being 51% good. We could all live with that. And Russia would be even 50% evil. And the Benyani is in the middle. And now, based on five words of Arayim Ahemna, which introduced us to the notion of evil being spiritual rather than practical, evil which is leaning, which cannot be explained practically. It can only be explained psychologically. And spiritually, we've raised the ante, not a little bit, but we're in a different realm. A tzaddik doesn't mean a person who does good. It means tzaddik means a person who is righteous. And a rasha doesn't mean a terrible person. A rasha means a person who's given in. 
even if only once. And a Bainani is a person who's tempted and never acts. In other words, in the old Chabad cultural form, Halavai Bainani, we wish we were average. There was a great Chassid, his name was Abhilal of Padach, he was really, really a great Chassid. And Abhilal of Padach, um, he was actually a Tadik, he was a very great Chassid. He said, before I learned the Tanya, I used to think I'm a Tadik. And now that I've started the Tanya, I say, I wish I'm average, I wish I'm a Bainani. Because the definition of Bainani is completely different. Go ahead. Jimmy, go ahead. So where are we Avedis. A person who doesn't feel bad about doing Avedis is called the Rosh Averale. And the person who does feel bad about doing Avedis is called the Rosh Averale. And that's for the most part everybody. I mean, we're about true, we're wonderful. Now, now, here's what's beautiful about this discussion. Here's the clincher. After the Alter Abba presents you with the initial definitions, and he quotes the Zayat, he actually finds a Gemara. A statement in the Talmud that says exactly what the Zayar holds. Exactly. There is one or two places in the Talmud, maybe more, that cannot be defined, cannot be explained based on um, Rambam's definitions, based on the standard definitions of the Talmud. Okay, this is the interesting thing about the Tanya. Now, Tanya starts off with a classic definition, gives us a mystical definition. Oh, by the way, I have corroboration, I have support for this position from a Gemara Mesech Tebrochus. And I want you to understand, the words Tzadik Bein Nirash appear all over the Shas. <coughs> mentioned very frequently. And usually, in the Talmud, Tzadik Bein Nirash is intended as the Rambam that we read on page one is concerned. But there are a number of Talmudic sections that seem to support, that seem to lean, seem to enlighten what the Zayar said. So it becomes interesting. Because we have Talmud, we have Zayar, and we have a bridge. What is the bridge between the Talmud and the Zayar? Those few Talmudic passages that are consistent with the Zayar and inconsistent with the classic definitions in the Talmud. You understand? And I would like you to indulge me. I want to read these few lines inside. Um, where the comma is. I made one comma on this page. Can you find it? It's a little bit above the middle of the page. One line above the middle of the page. Okay, yes. The Gemara says as follows. This is the Gemara Masech de Brachas. Say Petah de Brachas. Tzadikim yaitzatev shayftan v'cholu. Tzadikim are judged only by the yaitzatev. And etc. Now, the Al-Tarebbe doesn't tell us what the Etzerah is, but I'll tell you what the Etzerah is. The Etzerah is that the Gemara brings a Pasuk, which will actually be quoted on the next page in the Tanya. King David. David al-Melech says about himself, My heart is hollow within me. And the Talmud translates. What does King David mean when he says, My heart is hollow within me? <laughs> King David no longer had a Yetzirah. Quote, Kihar he killed, he murdered his evil tendency through fasts. This is all Gemara. This is not Hasidus, it's not Zayt Talmud. The Gemara says in Brachas that a tzaddik is a person whose heart is hollow within him and says King David killed his Yetzirah and once King David Yetzirah was dead, he no longer had it. So a tzaddik is not a person who doesn't do bad things. 
A tzaddik is not a person whose deeds are more than 50% good. A tzaddik is a person whose left side of the heart is hollow. There's no life. The animal's been killed. And this is Talmud. This is Gemara. And it corroborates with the Tanya definition, with the Zohar definitions. Rashayim, Rashayim are judged only by the Yitzhara. Bayinim Zevazesh Shaiftan Vikhuli. And the average person is judged by both, etc. Omar Rabbah, here are the key words. Says Rabbah. This, for those who do not know, was an allusion to a rabbi named Rabbah Banachmeni. There were several rabbis in the Shas. And in case you care, any time a rabbi was called a rabbi, it's actually an abbreviation for Reb Abba. Rabbi is actually Reb Abba. This was Rabbah Banachmeni. Rabbah Banachmeni is one of the greatest of the greats. Really one of the greatest of the greats. Rabbah Banachmeni had to pass away. And the angel of death could not kill him. Because <coughs> he would never stop studying, studying Torah. So the angel of death had to play a whole scheme, a whole game, with a whole spiel to distract Rabbah so he could take his soul from him. Like David HaMelech. Rabbah was on such a high madrege that Tzahara couldn't touch him because he was studying Torah night and day. You imagine who Rabbah Banachmeni was. Says Rabbah, For example, I, Benini. I'm average. Now a rabbi, he was such a high madrege. At the age of Hazamachmem couldn't kill him. The, the Malach Abba, the age of death, could not take his soul. How could he be average? Now, if average means 50-50, Rabbi is saying a ridiculous thing. You know, we don't believe that rabbis lie to look humble. Because lying to look humble is not humble, it's stupid. You understand? Rabbi is not exaggerating. When Rabbi says, I'm average, he's not saying something that he knows to be false. We believe that Tanya argues that the is wrong. But even a mistake has to be reasonable. People don't make ridiculous mistakes. People make mistakes with a reason. How could the Rabbis say, I'm average, if average means 50% evil? Here's a man, the Sabachman, the Yitzhahara, the, the, the angel of death cannot take his life because he's so righteous and he's accusing himself 50% evil. Says the Alter what is Rabbi saying in these words? I am average, I am Bainani. He is saying what the Zayar says. But Bainani does not mean 50-50. Bainani means I'm in control of my actions, but I'm not in control of my soul. I don't sin, but I would like to. If we adopt the, and this is the Gemara yet, this is not a Zoya. If we adopt the Zoya's definition of Bainani, Bainani doesn't mean 50% good, 50% evil. It means in the middle. What does it mean in the middle? I would like to sin, and I never do, we can justify Rabbi's words. When Rabbi says, I am Benini, he's wrong. Rabbi was a tzaddik and Rabbi was a perfect tzaddik. But he, such a mistake is reasonable. A person says, I am average because he knows that average means he's never sinned. Let's continue to read the Gemara one more line. Omale Abaye, the greatest of the disciples of Rabbi Nachmeni was Abaye, says to his master, Lay Shavak Mar, you do not allow, sir, Chaya life, Lachol Beria for any human being, Vachuli, and so forth. Abai says, if you're a Bainani, that makes us all rushers. And that's bad. <laughs> you can't possibly be a Bainani. You must be Tzaddik. Because there has to be space for other people on the planet. Okay? Now, we all accept that Rabbi is making a mistake. However, we assume that the mistake of Rabbi is reasonable. Because Rabbi also is using the word Bainani. Not in the Maimonidean sense. Not in the standard Talmudic definition, but in the Zoya's definition, 
which is corroborated by this Gemara and Mesech Debrachas. There are other Talmudic statements to this effect, but very few. Usually in the Gemara, the definitions of Tzadik Bein Yerasha are those that I gave you in the first half of this class. That it has to do with how you're judged. This Gemara and Brachas is a bridge between the Talmud and the Zayan. And we have new definitions. A Tzadik means a person who not doesn't sin. He's no interest in sinning. And Rosh doesn't mean a person who sins all the time. Rosh means a person who's given into his evil inclination even if only once. And Bainini means a person who would like to sin but never does. So these definitions are not definitions of behavior. They don't define what you do. The definitions of souls. They're who you are. And in a very significant way, they're far more concrete. They're absolute definitions. Tzaddik is not equivocal. Well, I do good most of the time. Well, I do evil most of the time. These definitions define not series of behaviors, but personalities, people. The problem is the standards are extraordinarily high. Right? But this is one of the things about Atanya. Dr. Rebbe doesn't shy away from the truth, even if the truth hurts. And he challenges us. Now, I'm not done yet, but let me give you a chance to ask a question, make a comment. Go ahead. Does it mean that only God knows the difference between... Pardon? Does it mean only God knows the difference between Sadiq and Benai? Ultimately, yes. It says in the, the Gemara, the very first lines of the Tanya begin with a statement. Everybody tells you you're Tzaddik, don't believe him. Right. Why? That's why Rabbi could be wrong about it. Because being a Tzaddik is not what you do, but who you are. Right. How do you trust? How did King David know them? King David was King David. And of course, <laughs> the, 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 the tradition is that only a Tzaddik can identify somebody else as a tzaddik. You understand? A tzaddik can tell another tzaddik, you are in the Madriga tzaddik. That Marash had a chosid, the name of the Hirsch the Radatz, who came to visit him once, he said, it's time for you to start serving Hashem like a tzaddik. And he just told him that. He was a man in his 40s or 50s, and he'd been serving Hashem as a benyani for half his life, he says, it's time. It's a very special thing to transcend, to go from the level of benyani to the level of tzaddik. <laughs> he told him that you, you, you can kill Yitzhahara. You're in a position now to murder Yitzhahara. It's a whole different way of serving Hashem. You have less phobias, you have less to be afraid of. Mm. Now, but it, this, the class is not over. One day, wait, one day. Wait, I just want to understand. In the Gemara, it's clear that it's the Sahara definition. In the Gemara, in one place, in just one, one place, that's right. Clear. Yeah, very it's clear. It's not just because of the no. point. No, 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 no. Take out the original text, look at it inside. Okay. In fact, from the language here, you may say, well, I don't see it so clearly. You have to read the whole text. The David Amelach says, I've killed my Yitzhahara. It's, it's in this Gemara and Barachas. It's explicit. There's no other way to address this Gemara. Go ahead. Okay. Who? No, Rabbi said so. He was wrong. Later on, al explains why Rabbi was able to make this mistake in chapter 13. But at least, Rabbi was wrong in saying his opinion. But it's a reasonable mistake. Okay? Go ahead. Now, here's the piece of the puzzle that remains to be filled. And that is, what does it mean? Tzadik v'tayvle, a tzadik to whom it is good. Tzadik v'rale, a tzadik to whom it is evil. Rasha v'tayvle, a rasha to whom it is good. And rasha v'rale, a rasha to whom it is evil. We're now defining these categories not by what people do, but who people are. Tzadik means it's killed as Yetzirah. Rasha means it's given into temptation. How do you have and and so forth. How do you have these nuances and subtleties? And the answer is very, very simple. Um, 
And it goes back to the Pasuk of last week. People are complicated. They're not just complicated because they're, they're multifaceted, but because they're multi-layered. In other words, we're not just complicated because we can be kind and severe. We can be uh, very, very exact and very, very generous. We're complicated because we have different layers. We have a conscious level and a subconscious level and deeper levels till the very, very essence of the person. In classic Kabbalah, the different layers of the person are <laughs> the level of the levushim, the garments, which means the level where we function on practically, the emotional level, the intellectual level, the will level, which I suppose we could call the level of instinct, the pleasure level, which is the real source of the motivation within a person, and the so-called essence of the soul. These are different layers. Okay? A benini, in the Tanya definition, benini means a person who wants to sin but doesn't, has mastered only the lowest level of himself. What is the lowest level of yourself? It's called the garments. What you do, what you say. Garments. The garments of a person are thought, levushim, the garments. Thought, speech, indeed. A benini is the person who wants to sin but doesn't. That means what does he own? The lowest level of a person. Tzadikim are expected to clean out higher levels of themselves. A tzadik is expected to clean out not just evil actions, but evil, evil emotional tendencies. And after a tzadik has finished cleaning out evil from his emotional dimension, he has to then clean out evil from his intellectual dimension. What does it mean evil in an intellectual dimension? Is a discussion for a different time, but there is such a concept. And after a tzaddik has finished cleaning out evil from his intellectual dimension, he has to clean out evil from his subconscious. Until the tzaddik has to clean out the evil from the very essence of the soul. So there's many, many levels. Well, don't worry about it. It's like her question about uh, Reb Zusha. When you'll be that person, I'll give you all the instructions. There is an Ivur thing. I didn't say that. You said it. And I <laughs> disagree. And, um, you disagree? Yes. That's what... That's what okay. You're confusing the facts. I know what you're talking about. It's mentioned in Tanya chapter uh, 14, but that's an unusual concept. That's not the typical concept of tzaddik. So a tzaddik is a person who on the lowest level of his soul has no struggles. Right? But he may have struggles on his emotional level, on his intellectual level, and his subconscious levels. And tzaddikim have to clean out the evil from all their subconscious levels till their very, very essence. If a person has evil... On any level of its of his subconscious, he's called tzaddik v'raloi. He's righteous. Righteous doesn't mean he does good. Meaning, me, righteous means he's disposed only towards good. He's only interested in good. But on the deeper levels of his soul, there are things which are not perfect. Which is what the Zayar says in the initial in the beginning. boy, the evil within him. It's kafuf It's leaning towards good. There's things in me which are not good, but they don't express themselves practically. They're part of my subconscious. It's a tzaddik v'raleh. He has stuff to clean out. They don't affect his practical life, but they affect his emotional life, his spiritual life. Let me give you an example. Okay? What happens to people who are very, very religious? Emotionally. They get messed up. <laughs> they have a problem with people who are less religious than themselves. Frequently, a person who is very passionate about anything becomes a zealot. Right? They have very little tolerance. So your passion can have a negative side effect. 
A tzaddik v'ra'aloi is told, be as passionate as you want, but direct your passions only to yourself, not towards somebody else. This is not a behavior. This is an emotion. But an ordinary person cannot be told, don't feel this way. An ordinary person can be told, don't act this way. A tzaddik is told, fix not just that you don't express your zealousness, don't feel it. No, I didn't say think. I said don't feel it. A bainini is not allowed to think it and say it. A tzaddik has to deal with the emotions. And this is an extraordinarily difficult challenge. We can't relate to such challenges because we're struggling with doing right and not doing wrong. But a tzaddik who's called the Ra Loy, there's evil in him, the Ra's in him, it doesn't affect what he does. It affects who he is. And there are therefore many, many levels of tzaddikim. Some tzaddikim are busy cleaning out their emotional closet. Other tzaddikim have a clear emotional closet and they deal with their intellectual closet and so forth. A tzaddik v'toivloi is somebody who has zero evil in any layer of his subconscious. A tzaddik v'toivloi has literally transformed his evil into good and that's extremely rare. It's very, very, very uncommon. This is a very interesting gemara, a Talmudic statement, which is discussed in Hasidus in various places, in various ways. And the Gemara says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was laying on his deathbed. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. One of the greatest we ever had. And he turns to his students and he tells them, I don't know if I'm going to Ganeiden or to Gehenna. To heaven or to hell. So the question has been asked by every rabbi who ever read this passage. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Forty years he was a student. Forty years he was his teacher. And forty years he was the leader of the Jewish world. He led the Jewish people through the Holocaust of the destruction of the Second Temple. How could he say that maybe he's going to a bad place? So the Altarebbe gives one of the answers. And the Kutatei Rabbi Yechem says, I don't know what's doing in my subconscious. Maybe I'm a tzaddik. Maybe I'm righteous. But there's ra, there's evil in the level of myself which I have not yet examined. So the world of tzaddik is not a world of rest. It's a world of struggle. Struggle that does not affect what they do. That's the Bain in Israel. But struggle that affects who they are. And only a perfect tzaddik, which is someone who has cleaned out every ra, from every layer, from the emotional level, intellectual level, and so forth and so on, is called a tzaddik v'tayv, a tzaddik whom it is good. That means to say, his evil has been transformed and made into good. So the world of tzaddikim is quite dynamic. And if you'll think about it, there is a greater distance between a perfect and imperfect tzaddik than between an imperfect tzaddik and a benini. Because perfect tzaddikim, you're really wondering exactly what are they doing here, they're at peace. It's called Ahavabatanugim. They're in a state of delight, of pleasure with godliness. We'll discuss that eventually. Now, before you make your comments, I'll get to you in a minute. What about Russia? What does it mean? Russia of a table, Russia who has evil. I'm sorry, Russia who has good. We know already that Russia doesn't mean a person who sins all the time. Russia means a person who gives in to his evil inclination, sins periodically. What makes it table? Very simple. That you have a conscience. You do something wrong and you care. That's a rasha v'tayvli. A rasha v'tayvli means a person who has absolutely no conscience. Just doesn't care. Has absolutely no conscience. A rasha v'tayvli means he's cleaned whatever emotional, whatever spiritual goodness is appealing to him and saying, at least regret what you're doing. A person who has absolutely no feeling of morality, has no conscience whatsoever, let's call the rasha v'tayvli. And the Rebbe says in the end of chapter 11 that even he has some good. It's just, it's just not manifest in their practical self. Okay? 
So we've defined everything. We started off with the Gemara. We went on to the Zayar. We found that what's written in the Zayar is actually found at least one place in the Mesech, the Baruchas, and the Shas. And we've defined Tzadik V'ra'alai, and we've defined Rashi V'tayvlai, all in spiritual terms. Now, Mayor, you had a comment. No comment. Tell me your first name. Eli. Eli, oh, go ahead. Okay. The whole thing with the concept with the Rasha V'tov or Tzadik V'ra'alai, you're talking about spiritual stuff. What about the Gashmi? Has nothing to do with the Gashmi? All the time they were talking about it like 500 years ago. It was the main question. I understand. Right, I agree. This is a, you're chiming into the very end of the class. Mm. We started that way. And I would also like to tell you that this hashkaf of tzaddik veraloi, which is you know all medieval theologians and Ambam and others, dealt with that question, is not part of this discussion, because we're not talking about God's affairs tonight. We're talking about our affairs, and that was the scheme of the question. class. You okay. said that it's very hard to find perfect tzaddik, right? Right. Everybody struggles. But it says like somewhere it says. Okay. Which means when God sees a tzaddik that really goes his way all the way, and all he wants is him, but he's making his yetzahara become the yetzahara. So the oyev, which is the enemy, becomes good. Okay. Automatically. Okay. So I'm just saying if that's true, no. why is it like proven so hard to find perfect tzaddiks? Okay, okay. let me answer your question it's with like a question. From one, if you do. So how many t- perfect tzaddiks do you know? I don't know too many in this generation. No, okay, that's my point. <laughs> Go ahead. I had a question about Rabba. When he said he was a Benu, he, he yeah. considered a higher level of evil to be the evil in the nefesh, the left side of the heart. Of course. That's why God is talking Right. About Yes, and the, the Alter Rebbe introduces us to a concept that's called the Beinin Yamaspalo Kolayin. We'll get to it in Mitzvah Shem. We'll explain Rabbi's mistake. Go ahead. Are we all born with the same? Are we all born on the same level? No, absolutely not. So, a Russia it's not always his fault. No, no, a Russia is because a Russia is defined by action. We are all born with the possibility. Born with more possibility. That's the key word. So it's easier for him to be. Right, to, but there's to a lot. There's a lot, but he has plenty of work to do. There's <laughs> different responsibilities. You must understand that God has only one measurement, and that is each person against himself or herself. What makes it fair is the famous statement from Rabzusha No one's going to hold it against me that I'm not of Ramavinu. But it will be a get held against me. How come I'm not Zusha? So everybody has their avoida, their shlichus, and for each person there is challenge according to their level and in their world. No. Remember, every person is judged against himself. It's not some worth more, it's some different than him. The expectation that Hashem has from a simple person is very different than the expectation Hashem has from a tzaddik. So it's not more or less, it's different. For somebody that's born and goes off the deck and goes back on the deck, means he went through a much more of an emotional roller coaster or a fight than a person that was born and just had to go up two levels and not go down and up. Yeah, but that has to do with personal choice. Mm, she's not asking that. 
There is no limit to levels. She thinks that there is a certain amount of levels and we have 10 levels to go on. Sadiq has only two. Did she answer your question? There is, there is no limit to levels. There is no ceiling. Okay, we'll have a mitiv.